coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Tuesday to you. I got a lot of email and some DMs on, is it X or is it Twitter? I'm still calling it Twitter. I'm just used to calling it Twitter. It's Twitter. And I mean, at some point in time, this great Elon Musk experiment is going to come to an end and we're just going to go back to calling it Twitter when whoever else has some sense about them grabs the reins of that social media platform, right? Uh, nonetheless, uh, a lot of messages uh, since yesterday's show imploring me to talk about anything other than Cop City. Okay, I get it. Not everyone who listens to this show lives in Metro Atlanta or even lives in the city of Atlanta or is interested in the back and forth between the pro- Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility folks, and the anti-Cop City folks. But it, it has to be noted, this is not just an Atlanta issue. As I mentioned before, I believe yesterday as a matter of fact, and it's been mentioned a time or two before with uh, other guests, Alex Joseph comes to mind, Henry County is looking to build a $70 million, 40-acre public safety training facility, and some other nearby communities are also looking to do that. Fulton County, I believe, wants to build a $17 million uh, police or what we call it sheriff's training facility. And again, I ask, why can't Atlanta and Fulton County work on that and bring the cost down from $117 million to, I don't know, $35, $45 million and keep it in Fulton County? And dare I say, Atlanta city limits? So, no, I get it. Not everybody wants to, but but this has to be pointed out. This is not just an Atlanta thing. These sort of training facilities are popping up regionally throughout the state and across the country. But okay, I hear you. Actually, what I what I got a lot of uh, uh, over the weekend and even last night was, you, you got to talk about the, the Meet the Press interview. Uh, I really don't want to, honestly, other than to say, NBC is doing it again. NBC is the reason Donald Trump was elevated in the first place. He was a failed investor, a failed casino owner, a failed businessman. What was it? Six bankruptcies of four businesses, all total. A failure. He is, or was then, a caricature of American grift, of American fluff, really. Boastful and yet empty on the inside. Just a lot of empty calories. And we've seen that all bear fruit through his campaigns and his presidency. He says a lot of stuff, but there's never any depth to it. How this man, or I'm sorry, he didn't write the book. I forgot. He had the ghostwriter. I was going to say how a man wrote a book about success and the art of the deal. And then we, of course, have to be reminded, he didn't actually write the book. He had a ghostwriter. But throughout the whole interview, I'm watching this going, this is NBC again. The, the, the same NBC that gave us the Celebrity Apprentice that gave us this facade of success and business acumen and ability to negotiate and to lead when he had a four-decade-plus history of being incapable of any of that. But because we saw it in reality television, well, that guy is a <laughs> no-hold-barred, take-no-crap, shoot-from-the-hip kind of guy. And so a few seasons of that not only gave his reputation a rehabilitation, fiscally he was rehabilitated as well. The man was pretty much broke before NBC said, hey, American caricature, we have a role for you. We just need you to act this out. And 
Damn if he didn't, and damn if we didn't wind up having him descending down the escalator, questioning the birth certificate of a U.S. president, and lo and behold, somehow, without even 50% of the GOP voting base in most of the states in 2016, he ascended to be the GOP nominee, and because our electoral college is still one large f*** up, he became president of the United States. And so we didn't just have the empty calories on the campaign trail. We had four years of empty calories and bleach in our rectums and all this other crazy stuff that were his ideas for solutions to complex problems. Throughout the interview, I'm watching this, and I watched it Sunday night. I didn't watch it live because I was on the road. I'm watching this Sunday night, and he just keeps telling Kristen Welker and anyone watching things that have no substance to them. Well, I'd get Putin and Zelensky in the room and we would negotiate. They would be in one room and and then I would bring them together in their own room and I would make a deal. Uh Uh-huh. But how? Like that was Kristen Welker's first foray into being host of Meet the Press. And she somehow lowered the bar from Chuck Todd. And I thought Chuck Todd actually got better once he announced he was leaving Meet the Press. Like, he grew a pair and started standing up to people and started pushing back. And and yet Kristen Welker, again, elevated Donald Trump to a level of seriousness that he himself doesn't deserve, nor his base. There's no meat on the bones. There's no substance to his policy. Remember when he ran for re-election? The entire GOP platform, there was no platform. It was re-elect Donald Trump. That was the entire 2020 GOP platform. And his signature achievement, (laughs) his signature achievement, for the right anyway, is commandeering the U.S. Supreme Court into a 6-3 conservative majority in a nation that has voted overwhelmingly for slightly left-of-center policy since 1992. What is it? Seven of the last eight or eight of the last nine presidential election popular votes went to the left. But that doesn't show itself in the Supreme Court. Oh, no, because we're a representative republic and the Electoral College, which, by the way, is still f***ed up. And because of that signature achievement, his giving the Republican Party for the foreseeable decades a 6-3 conservative majority, because of that, we got the Dobbs decision. The Dobbs decision that just said, Katie, bar the door, you conservatives who really want to be radical about abortion rights. And so we have states that have six-week abortion bans that he doesn't even agree with. He's ready to negotiate because he's the skilled negotiator. He's going to put one side in one room and one side in the other room, and then he's going to bring them all together. Remember, that's what he told Kristen Welker about Ukraine. He's going to put Putin in one room. Zelensky, anyway, he was going to negotiate around the 15-week abortion ban. And folks on the right are like, whoa, whoa, that's a little radical. It's not. It's still like first trimester. But but his is a base of support that loves wrestling and reality television. And there's never any substance to those either. They're fans of a celebrity from The Celebrity Apprentice who also, of course, showed up at World Wrestling Entertainment events as well. They love fakeness. They love brash, fake, boastful ambiguity. Substance? Ugh, can't be bothered. Because of that scummy, 
didn't graduate or slid by through high school, got the GED, didn't care much about history or civics or government, wasn't their thing. Because of his ascendancy and the emboldened base that helped elevate him to an to uh, an elevation he doesn't deserve, it also wrought us the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Jim Jordan and yes, the reason other folks were emailing me over the weekend. You're going to talk about Lauren Bober, right? I wasn't going to, but Donald Trump and his appearance on Meet the Press actually have some relevance to Lauren Bobert's antics over the weekend when she went to go, or last week when she went to go see uh, a live adaptation of Beetlejuice and thought, well, the lights are down. I'm going to gropity grope and let him gropity grope and we're going to vape near a pregnant woman. Miss Pro-Life, Miss Groom the Kids, can't have kids seeing Drag Time Story Hour because you don't want them to see things, is at a play in all ages uh, Broadway adaptation of Beetlejuice performance where kids are in the theater, by the way, vaping and groping and getting groped by her first date, by the way, hey, classy lady, first date guy who she's no longer seeing. (laughs) And the reason I want to point this out and tie this to Donald Trump is even folks on the right are kind of getting sick of this shtick. Eric Erickson posted this to his social media yesterday. It's a, a, a little bit of him going off on folks who are looking for him and others on the right to defend Lauren Boebert against her antics. And Eric Erickson ain't having it. We can't complain about the degradation of our society when we refuse to hold our own degenerates accountable. Yes. Either we hold our side accountable or we give up any moral claim to good behavior. The Democrats have given up their moral claims to good behavior. They're only attacking Lauren Boebert as a hypocrite that she claims values. Then she clearly doesn't hold them. I go after Susanna Gibson and Lauren Boebert for the same thing. They're both immoral degenerates. We don't need them in legislative office. You can't keep stacking degenerates into your party in the legislature and then limit the decline of the United States. A lot of you are de- are upset about the moral decline of the United States, and yet you want to keep voting for immoral people. I'm not saying don't vote for a, a sinless person. There is no sinless person. But when the sins of the person are flaunted, when they they don't practice what they preach, when they are a hypocrite in those areas, you probably do need to hold a better standard. In about 90% of that rant, Eric Erickson is absolutely spot on. I can't believe I'm saying that. (laughs) That's just so surreal. But he's right. I mean, he's bringing up a Virginia state legislator who apparently used to get on, what was it, WeChat or one of those things where you're chatterbait or something like that, that you, if you're a consenting adult and another consenting adult's on and you're kind of like FaceTiming but dirty, whatever, right? I, I don't, it's not like that state legislator, by the way, is running uh, on platforms that, that speak to morality and family values and uh, against grooming children the things Lauren Boebert was seen on video doing in that theater, where, by the way, kids were present, you never see in drag queen story time. Representative Screechy Pro-Life McGunnut was vaping near a pregnant woman who asked her, please stop vaping. And before anybody asks me, oh, it's not the same as cigarette secondhand smoke, um, secondhand and thirdhand smoke or vapor can cause serious harm to kids 
even before they're born and during their childhood. Unborn babies are exposed to smoke or vape smoke, are more likely to be born prematurely or have low birth weight, die during pregnancy or at birth. And look, that's not even the only self-inflicted ownage from over the weekend within conservative circles. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Carl Rove on Fox News Sunday said something that I was like, he's right. He's absolutely right. And it, it caught the Fox News Sunday host a touch off guard. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of the audience too. Stand by. I will play that audio for you next as we have what appears to be a looming shutdown in Washington that Republicans, well, I think some of the diehard MAGA Republicans think is going to be to their benefit. And it's not. And Carl Rove agrees with me on that. More of that in minutes on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. Again, over the weekend, and even last night, I'm getting a lot of social media DMs, emails. Why don't you just get back to owning the Republicans? Stop attacking Democrats. Um, No, I'm not going to avoid attacking Democrats when I feel like they've gone astray and are, in some respects, Mayor Dickens, I feel like becoming a puppet of the wealth class and conservatives. I mean... It, it doesn't concern Mayor Dickens at all that he is in lockstep with Brian Kemp and Chris Carr on public safety training facility dollars going in such large quantities. Nonetheless, there is more to discuss about that. I just, I'm listening. I'm listening to my audience who's telling me, get back to owning Republicans. And actually, I don't even need to do that because they're kind of doing it themselves between Donald Trump's antics in another <laughs> in another head-scratching public interview, Kristen Welker's first meet-the-press interview and show, and that's who she leads with. We're off to a rip-roaring start, ma'am. And then Lauren Boebert's antics in public, Miss Anti-Drag Queen Story Hour, because got to protect the kids from seeing things they shouldn't see. Meanwhile, is in a theater with other kids in attendance, at a Beetlejuice Broadway musical tour, and she's getting handsy and getting handsied with a first date we found out. And by the way, they're not seeing each other anymore. Darn. Um, also, while vaping in the presence of a pregnant woman who asked her to stop, Miss Pro-Life, Lauren Boebert. Anyway, uh, so, okay, we, we've done that. Eric Erickson went off on Lauren Boebert and anybody who defends her and the degradation of the moral superiority, air quotes, of the GOP. I mean, we, you and I, we all know that that is long since gone, but let him think that that's what they have nonetheless while they continue to uh, be rude and incivil to asylum seekers or the LGBTQ+, et cetera, and so on. See, I, don't, I, I, I haven't had to lift a finger really to, quote-unquote, get getting back to owning conservatives. And then I'm watching Fox News Sunday replay, Host Shannon Bream, who is supposed to be a bit of a moderator, a mediator of sorts, and not leaning. She obviously leans to the right. She's on Fox News, after all. Roundtable discussion about the looming government shutdown and wants to opine, well, this just doesn't seem fair that Republicans are blamed for this. Karl Rove sort of put her in her place. I haven't really seen that Republicans get blamed for these shutdowns. 
Well, generally because Republicans are responsible for the shutdown. They seem to eagerly <laughs> want go. it. So, yeah, there's a reason why they get blamed. And, and, and look, the American people demand that their government try and run itself in an appropriate fashion. And the fact that the biggest financial and business enterprise in the world, the U.S. government, cannot pass a budget in time and then ends up shutting itself down over things that are on the margin. I mean, we're talking about uh, the difference between this and that. And... Uh, uh, the Republicans are going to be uh, shoot themselves in the foot and run in the run up to the 2024 election if they continue to to, to think that shutdowns are a great way to, to put themselves in front of the American people. Never forget that our debt and deficits, at least since 1981, overwhelmingly responsible for that debt and deficit, the GOP, the largest expansion of government in that period after 9/11, Homeland Security. Who was in charge? GOP. Defense spending. We spend as much as the rest of the militarized world combined. And most of that part of the world, they're allies of ours. Now, who's responsible for that? Now, I would say some fecklessness on the left actually is responsible for some of that as well, because... We never talk about cutting defense spending. We never do. We just got out of two theaters of war half a world away. So you would think, well, that should mean some cost cuts, some savings, right? Nope. <laughs> military spending went up. And yet the right's still going to run on our weakened military. Biden has weakened our military. Remember, it was Ob- Obama has weakened our military. That, by the way, was a crutch of the Mitt Romney 2012 presidential campaign. It wasn't true, but he ran on it. We, we love Mitt Romney now, right? So Democrats are somewhat guilty of that, but only because they're pressured by the right who, when in charge, also bloats our military spending beyond what is rationally necessary as well. You're pilloried for being unpatriotic against the troops. If you dare speak to, hey, why are we spending all this money on airplanes we wind up never using and having to mothball. And why can't we get an effective audit of Pentagon spending so we can find out what they're wasting money on and have them stop doing that? And why is it when even the military identifies a project that they don't want or need anymore, we have folks in Congress, left and right, by the way, who say, oh, no, 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 you're building that in my district. I need you not to stop building that in my district. So there's some blame for the left on that, too. Not going to mince words there. But while we're talking about getting spending under control, we also can't seem to get tax cuts under control. We have whittled away at the progressive income tax in this country, established just before World War II, and to the point now where I know it sounds like a campaign speech from Bernie Sanders when I say this, but literally when a hedge fund multimillionaire pays as much or less as a percentage of income as the assistant or the janitor who cleans his or her office, that's not right, y'all. Well, we've also watched average worker to CEO ratios skyrocket in that same time. It's just not right. And there are those who are going to say, well, why should a rich person have to pay more of their income in taxes than everybody? Because they get more. 
It's like having an auto insurance policy or even a homeowner's insurance policy. You got a more expensive house, it costs more to insure. When you have more and you're worth more, there's more value in what our nation's military branches and its fiscal solvency are being tasked to invest in to protect and defend. I mean, just think of it this way. If all that stood between some dystopian nightmarish future and our present were this country, its military, and its structural integrity, who has more to lose? Two-parent household with a couple of kids and student loan debt up to their eyeballs? Or the multi-billionaire CEO who has several vacation homes, their own yacht, and a private jet? Seriously, who has more to lose? So who should be putting more in? And I mean as a percentage, because 15% to you and me hits us a lot harder than it does to Warren Buffett or Elon Musk. So a looming shutdown is not just about spending, it's also about income, and the GOP is directly responsible for all of that. All right, sorry, not sorry, I do have a Cop City update. We'll get to that later on The Ron Show, after this. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so I know I devoted like all of yesterday to talking about the latest in the Cop City saga. We now saw a movement that uh, happened after yesterday's show went to bed and actually actually uh, after it aired even where city council has voted unanimously to have the city clerk upload scanned digital versions of the petitions and have them posted online so that they can be essentially scrutinized by the public before they're even counted. Okay, I see you. This, to me, feels a little bit like maybe someone city council are starting to realize there's a little bit more blowback than maybe they anticipated. Again, a lot of things on city and county councils get voted on that the general public never really ever knows about. But this issue, an issue that I believe that the city has fumbled the narrative out of their grasp months ago and cannot seem to get out of its own way to recollect said narrative. For the most part, there's been a lot of this arrogant, well, we voted on it, uh, the citizens elected us, and this is what we're going to go with, we don't care, how many folks show up at a city council meeting to uh, foster open discussion about it. It's going to happen. You guys just need to deal with it, and it's going to be good for you. You'll just have to trust us. Uh, and it seems only now lately that there is an attempt by the pro-Atlanta Public Safety Training Center folks uh, from Andre Dickens to someone council to Attorney General Chris Carr to now Brian Kemp, the governor, to take a positive PR spin and try and win folks over. Maybe they realize folks are going to get to vote on this, or maybe they'll just continue to try and throw a wrench in the works legally. There is some question as to whether or not a former Georgia Supreme Court ruling that gave Camden County the opportunity to put something like this on a a referendum actually applies to cities, and you best believe the city of Atlanta is going to do everything they can to try and use that little asterisk to keep that referendum uh, from mattering. In fact, there's some scuttlebutt. Now, I saw this in the Jolton AJC uh, today where there are some legislators, unnamed of course, who are talking about making it harder for referendums to even pop up against cities. Now, gee, I wonder why that could possibly 
get bantied about right now. I will read for you uh, a nice tweet thread from Representative Rua Roman from Gwinnett County. Obviously, this is out of her jurisdiction, but this may wind up something that the General Assembly weighs in on, apparently. So uh, I will read that thread for you. First, I want you to hear some of what uh, Governor Brian Kemp said yesterday on the Mark Aram Show on 95.5 FM WSB. I want to get you on, Governor. Uh, you tweeted out earlier this morning your thoughts on the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Obviously, it's been in the news for months and months. Uh, your thoughts on the, on the latest developments in that and and the, the whole process that's that's going forward right now? Well, I just wanted to make sure that people knew where I stood. I think there's a lot of politicians that are hiding behind, you know, a referendum. Hiding behind a referendum. In other words, how dare other politicians say nothing and quietly let the idea of a referendum and you and I voting on it take place? That is his version of hiding behind a referendum. Okay, sorry to interrupt. I'll let him continue. Just saying whether they support our firefighters and our law enforcement and other first responders having good training facilities. I mean, to me, that's a no-brainer. It cuts across political lines. It shouldn't be a Republican issue or a Democratic issue, and I, quite honestly, I don't think it is. I think the broad public supports training law enforcement so that they're learning new techniques to keep themselves safe, to keep you know, people, uh, our citizens safe and doing things the right way. I know that's what the, the mayor and the the chief won't, and I'm certainly supportive of that. So if he believes that the public is broadly behind it, then just let the referendum happen. I mean, he's in no position to do that, but if folks from the Atlanta Police Foundation to the governor, to the attorney general, to the mayor, to the city council, the majority of the city council all believe that, then just let the referendum happen. Be confident. And uh, I just think it's time for people to to let their voice be heard and answer the question, do you support the training center or not? And he's not talking about you and me, the Atlanta citizen voter. No, he's talking about politicians because he wants he wants this to become the partisan issue that he says and he swears that it's not. He wants to be able to say that it's going to be a pox on your house so that then folks can run against you and say, oh, you're not for security and safety in your community. Here's where I pivot to Representative Rua Roman. And her tweet from, when was this? Uh, Yesterday afternoon. The problem is we've dumped millions into training that had no impact because there's never been mechanisms to ensure those trainings are followed. If you're serious about improving retention and professionalism, here's some free advice. Number one, increase pay. This is the easiest way to keep people. She's talking about retention, right? Make sure they can afford to live while doing their jobs. And here's an idea. Maybe be able to live in the city where they're doing their jobs. I think she talks about this later, actually. Uh, Number two, update and maintain equipment. It's hard doing a job every day when the basic things you need to do your job well don't function or are consistently breaking down. And listen, if the current public training facility is inadequate, well, well, whose department was that under to let it get there in the first place? And so a $100 million new facility is the reward for not maintaining it. Anyway, she continues. Number four, make E, I'm sorry, number three, make housing affordable. Yes, she did cover that. Many first responders are leaving Atlanta because they can't afford to live there. Those that travel in for work don't know the communities they serve. 
Number four, make EMS an essential service. In parentheses, she says, because it is. Number five, end qualified immunity. I'm glad she brought that up because when she talks about uh, the problem, we've dumped millions into training that had no impact because there's never been mechanisms to ensure those trainings are followed. Well, yes, what good is spending more on training if you don't end qualified immunity so that there are repercussions for skipping the training or not following the training? Six, so far, none of these things are new training facilities and the training facility APT needs isn't as massive as Cop City. So the question is, why is the mayor, the governor, the attorney general, and so many others doing the bidding of a private entity that isn't going to fix anything? Her seventh point, and if the reason behind this particular facility is that there isn't one nearby, why are there multiple more sites being planned all around the metro area? Something isn't adding up here, and I would really like an understanding of why the Atlanta Police Foundation has such outsized influence. She was responding to a statement that Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr gave. I'll let you listen to that. We need well-trained first responders. We need well-trained firefighters. And yes, we need well-trained police officers. Better training does not just help those who put on the uniform, but also leads to safer communities. Although this training center will be about more than training just law enforcement, let me say this about the importance of including police as well. Coming out of the social justice unrest during the summer of 2020, most people agreed that we want and need better trained police officers. In fact, there was almost a universal call for this. And here in Atlanta, we did what we always do. The public and private sectors came together to solve the problem. If by the problem he means heightened crime during the pandemic, well, that's kind of already solved itself. Crime is actually dropping significantly in the city of Atlanta. Something Mayor Andre Dickens, when he runs for re-election, is going to try and point out with or without a new Atlanta public safety training facility because A, the statistics bear that out, and B, it's something he's going to have to say when he's running for re-election. By the way, there was a study done in 2016 uh, by a group of criminologists that essentially showed that throwing more money and more bodies into a police force doesn't reduce crime. Uh, this study by a group of criminologists conducted a systematic review of 62 earlier studies of police force size and crime between 1971 and 2013. I'm reading this from Reuters. They concluded that 40 years of studies consistently show that, quote, the overall effect size for police force size on crime is negative, small, and not statistically significant. Which sort of brings me back to a point I was making the segment before about how conservatives cannot help themselves. They call themselves fiscal conservatives, but they just can't help themselves when it comes to spending money on weaponry and might. <laughs> I mean, my God, I'll never understand how so-called fiscal conservatives are anything but when it comes to domestic or international militarization. There's already a big state facility within an hour a drive of Atlanta. And the city of Atlanta, Fulton County, now Henry County, other local jurisdictions all want such a facility. Why can there not be one built by and for them all? And can we do it somewhere where it doesn't have a negative impact on nearby residents or, dare I say, the environment? Okay, let's go back. Uh, some more audio from Governor Brian Kemp appearing on the Mark Aram show yesterday on WSBFM. 
I mean, I think people are hiding behind a referendum to keep from having to answer that question uh, because of uh, really an extreme wing, uh, wing of the party on the left, which is, is really disappointing. Now, this is where I give him his props because he sort of called the extremism within his own party out, and he's actually benefited from it polling-wise. Obviously, he got reelected as well. But I also have to say this, in case you've forgotten. He's term-limited. This is his last gubernatorial term. So he's going to be running for, I don't know, perhaps U.S. Senate in 2026? Likely. His term will be up. He'll be free to do something else. And, you know, he's just not going to go quietly into that good night and spend the rest of his years with uh, Marty and the girls. (laughs) No, he's probably going to run against John Ossoff, who has been, those of us on the left know, been pretty quiet about the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. Hasn't had a whole lot to say about it. Okay, and to be fair to Senator Ossoff, he actually did make a statement after the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. Three were arrested. Uh, That tweet thread read, while protecting public safety, state and local officials must uphold vital constitutional rights to free speech and peaceful assembly, as well as due process and legal counsel. While the facts of the case are not yet fully known, the prosecution announced last week of Georgians reputedly engaged in legal aid activities demand scrutiny. Proponents and opponents of the proposed Atlanta Police Training Center, he called it that, continue to engage in vigorous advocacy. While most advocacy has been peaceful, an extremist minority has engaged in violence that cannot be tolerated. It is imperative that the response of government to the violent few not intimidate or infringe on the constitutional rights of those engaged in nonviolent protest and civil disobedience, in the strongest terms, I urge peace, nonviolence, and restraint as the Atlanta City Council continues its deliberations. Notice he didn't take a stance pro or against the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. And he has not since. In fact, he's been pretty silent on this topic since the arrest of the Atlanta Solidarity Fund 3. That's who Brian Kemp's talking about. That's got to be who he's talking about. He's... Next opponent, Senator John Ossoff. Okay, Mark Aram did have a follow-up. Well, you know, this is it's such a unique issue, right? It's such a hot-button issue. Um, people have been calling for more training for our our, our police uh, men and women, and, and we finally have an area where they're going to get that advanced training. So you would think that this would have been a bipartisan support for this training center, giving the, the police training that so many people have been calling for. And by the way, I do need to point out that Mark Aram is employed by Cox Media, and the Cox family, I believe, are the largest donors of the Atlanta Police Foundation, who are backing the training facility. Well, it's just, a, you know, a small, loud voices. Many of these activists don't even live in the state of Georgia. They keep moving the goalposts. You know, they wanted the city council to act, so they acted, and You know, now they didn't get what they wanted. The courts didn't give them what they wanted. So now they're asking for a referendum. And, you know, I just think it's time for political leaders to stand up and say, look, we need good training facilities for our men and women in law enforcement and for our our firefighters. Uh, We have that in the state. We have that in other local communities. And we certainly should have that, in my opinion, in the city of Atlanta. And I I think it's just it's really disappointing that people just won't simply say whether they're for this or not and and quit hiding behind a referendum. He's still talking about John Ossoff and not the topic. (laughs) 
But back to what he was saying about the small, loud activists and many of the activists not living in the city of Atlanta. 116,000 signatures are in boxes or soon to be scanned and on the World Wide Web for us all to see that tell us that anywhere from 15 to 30 percent of Atlanta's voters want to vote. Not necessarily that they're for or against, but want to vote on this issue. That's not a small sampling, sir. Why are conservatives so scared of democracy? Oh, wait, I forgot. And I mentioned this before. They tend to lose popular votes. Seven of the last eight, eight of the last nine, what is it? Presidential elections. They obviously see that there's anywhere from 15 to 30% of Atlanta's voters who managed to find their way to a petition. And how many never did? who want to weigh in on this, why are they so afraid of democracy? They call it mob rule when it doesn't go their way. But Brian Kent, by the way, won two statewide elections by popular vote. Now he seems to be afraid of popular vote. Back after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday. What do I have to look forward to tonight? Oh, my softball league's uh, board meeting is tonight. It's in my condo building I offered. <sighs> I mean, I'm just saying, you get to go home, take off the uncomfortable work shoes and work clothes and slip into the comfy stuff and, I don't know, turn on the Braves game or watch whatever else is on. By the way, have you noticed that sports ratings are on the come up because of the actors and writers strike? There's so little else to watch on television. Even ABC is deciding now that ABC wants Monday Night Football again. They used they relegated it to ESPN. The numbers just weren't what they used to be back in the day when there were only four options and one of them was PBS that nobody chose. Uh, <laughs> so now ABC with nothing to put on. And by the way, they canceled the Wonder Years. Damn it. What a great series that was. Anyway, ABC decided that they, they want sports again. So they're going to air uh, Monday Night Football, uh, I believe, 10 more games as the season goes. And by the way, let's talk about that. The Wonder Years being canceled. It was being filmed right here in Atlanta. It was set in Alabama during the civil rights era, um, late 60s into the 70s, I do believe. And this reboot of the Wonder Years that I grew up on focused on a black family and uh, narrated from the point of view of the youngest son in the family. And it's just wonderful television. Just one. I'm so upset that this show has been canceled. And in fact, didn't even do enough episodes so that it would run and rerun. Kind of hoping maybe that we'll just sit back and watch and see if a Netflix or a Hulu or somebody else will pick it up and run with it. Such good television. And I don't normally pimp for network television that much anymore. I'm trying to think what else I watched on ABC. Oh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the cop drama that's also filmed right here in Atlanta. What's it called? Will Trent. There it is. Um, yeah, those are the only two shows I watched on ABC, and now I'm down to Will Trent. And again, with the actors and writers strike, I don't even know when or if we'll get that back. But I do, I implore you, if you get the chance to, and I guess all the episodes are on Hulu as well, you really should watch this reincarnation of The Wonder Years because it's it's endearing, it's sweet. It follows, you know, a nuclear family in the 1960s, uh, late 60s, early 70s. The oldest son went to fight in Vietnam and fortunately came home, but he has to adjust 
to America after that. And obviously being a black family in the South, there are civil rights implications and just, I don't know, just so many little history nuggets you can learn from watching that show without it beating you over the head with history. And we all know that we're burying history as frantically as possible to keep from folks learning anything more about that past. Anyway, I thought I'd just leave you today with, we haven't done this in a while. I haven't, uh, haven't played any Trey Crowder for you in a while. Trey Crowder, by the way, the liberal redneck stand-up comedian, and he wants to, this week, talk about how odd it is that the right, the pro-military, give them all the money they need right, is also lashing out at the military. Listen to this. We all know that a lot of these like red-blooded, flag-waving, war-hawking conservatives have been trashing the military lately. Right. That's wild. That's like gay guys trashing musical theater. I never thought I'd see the day, you hey, know, because hey, hey. that was always, that was their mantra. you got to support the troops, right? And granted, it always kind of seemed like for some of them, supporting the troops consisted of putting the right stickers on their truck and mm-hmm. calling Colin Kaepernick the N-word. But still, that's what they said. you got to support the troops. And yep. we were always like, oh, we love the troops. It's just war we don't like. Mm-hmm. And right now, they're the exact opposite. They're like, dude, war is awesome. But our troops are a bunch of woke, poetry-reading queers. It's like, well, that don't sound very supportive. Right, but they've somehow decided that Biden's military is infested with wokeness, obsessed with things like diversity. They say a picture of Kamala Harris with a bunch of black and brown soldiers, and they're just like, look how woke. It's like, what? They don't have purple hair. They're not dressed up like foxes. Like, you literally just saw a picture of some brown soldiers, and your reaction was, just give it all to China now. It's so funny how openly they despise diversity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, liberals act like we're all a bunch of racists just because we think only white people should be able to do stuff. Okay. Right, but that's their thing. They say that like the focus on diversity hurts military recruitment. So they think it's scaring off all the good God-fearing white Christian killing machines out there. I don't buy it. I think as long as y'all are wearing camo and blowing stuff up, rednecks will answer the call, okay? <laughs> Plus, the military's always focused on underserved communities, which means that minorities have always been heavily represented, but all of a sudden you got a problem with it because Biden's in the White House? I don't know. Also, call me crazy, but I respect anybody who makes the sacrifice to serve this country, regardless of their background or wokeness level. I don't care if we got woke troops. Who can, like What, like a Zoomer can't fly a drone? You know what I mean? Like, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure getting exploded by baristas still counts, okay? But all that's moot because the truth is our military is not woke anyway. Of course it isn't. Nothing with that many tanks is woke, right? Which means if there are potential soldiers out there who aren't signing up, it's not because the military is woke. It's because y'all keep telling them the military is woke, which really means that y'all are actively sabotaging this nation's armed forces in exchange for internet likes and political clout. Mm -hmm. Super patriotic, guys. And by the way, dare we mention Senator, Republican Senator from Alabama, old white guy, former college football coach, Senator, Republican Senator from Alabama, Tommy Tuberville, continuing to hold up high-level military appointments because he believes the military's gone woke. All right, I have plenty more to go over, but I have exactly 47 seconds left, so we're just not going to... Anybody else worried about the Braves? They've lost four in a row. Uh, still have the best record in Major League Baseball, but now only by two games with 12 to play. Come on, Braves. Let's get this done. Let's get back on the right track. Spencer Strider's on the bump tonight, so I'm thinking today is a Strider day, and maybe he'll get things going right for us. And be nice to see the bats heat up again. Uh, again, 12 games before the playoffs, so no big deal. if They're just kind of, you know, putting on the brakes a little bit, but 
let's not go giving teams like the Phillies the idea that maybe they can beat us in the playoffs if they can beat us in the regular season. Anyway, that's going to do it for the Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Get more at RonShowATL.com, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>